Thank you for tuning in to the audio podcast of Renaissance Church, a new church plant located in Montreal, Quebec. For more information about Renaissance Church, please check out our website, renaissancemtl.com. If you would like more information about joining the launch team of Renaissance, or if you would like information on how you can partner with us to see the gospel advance in Montreal, please send us an email at renaissance.mtl at gmail.com. Um, tonight, as we, as we jump into this, we're starting a series today called, called DNA. Um, I don't even know how to pronounce when that's actually spelled out. I don't remember what DNA stands for, but we all know what it means, right? It's like what makes up who we are. It's, what's it, is it dying, dying, uh, yeah, so, so I, I knew, I was counting on you to, to be able to, to have that. Yeah, it, DNA, way easier. So anyways, uh, DNA, okay? We'll be looking at what makes us who we are as a church and what's important to us. And so over the next, and we're going to do this today and then the following three weeks. And so we're not going to necessarily get into a lot of like deeper, like theological, like, okay, as a, as a church, we believe this, we believe this. We're not necessarily going that route. What we're going to be talking about more so is What's important to us? What shapes how we view us ourselves as a church? What shapes how we view how we do ministry? And so um, that's what we're going to be, be diving into. Okay, You've often heard us say um, that we desire to love Jesus, love each other, and love our world. And so that's kind of the framework of what we're going to be talking about. So tonight we're going to be talking about the gospel because that kind of encompasses all of those things. But then the next few weeks we'll talk about what it means. What do we mean when we say we love Jesus? What do we mean when we say we love each other and when we love our world? And so we're going to dive into those. And, um, and I hope it's a time um, that we can, um, as a church, kind of again, see that vision together and say, okay, I want to be a part of that. Because I know that for those of you that are here, we are inviting you to join with us. To, first and foremost, to be a part of this church as a place to connect with each other and to worship and to hear God's word. We want, to, we want that for each of us. But we also are inviting you to join us as a church that says we are on mission. We want to know God and we want to make him known. And that's what we're about. And so we'll be getting into that these next few weeks. And so hopefully as we go through that, um, you'll be able to jump in um, on that with us. And so um, we'll have, you know, hope, my hope is, is we, as we finish this series, we'll have a clearer understanding of who we are as a church, what we believe and why. And so this is a little bit different than what we've been doing um, even last year because we went through the book of Luke for the entire year. Um, so we're going to have these kind of four weeks and then after that we're going to shift into, uh, we're going to study the book of Ephesians together. So, um, but this is kind of a little different than what we're, what we're usually doing. So, um, but my hope is as we go through this that we'll have a deeper passion for Jesus and a deeper desire to make him known in our city and around the world. And so I invite you to join with Renaissance during this time in praying for our church, praying for our city, um, and with a desire to reach Montreal and beyond. Because that's, what, that's who we are and what we are about. So, um, again, thankful to have us gathered tonight. And we're going to jump in because I've got a lot. So, um, but tonight I want to focus on, on two things. On what is the gospel and what does it do? When we talk about what is the gospel, we want to have a clear, explicit understanding of the gospel in our own lives and also as a church. Secondly, what does it do? We want to have a clear understanding of what the gospel means for salvation through Jesus as well as for day-to-day life. 
It's a word that we, the word, this word gospel gets used a lot and gets kind of thrown around a lot and many times in good ways, okay? So you can think of like a gospel choir, you know, and you picture a movie like Sister Act or something like that, which is, you know, throwback. Yeah. I mean, who's seen Sister Act like recently? <laughs> okay, well anyways, you know, that movie is like, okay, there's a gospel choir, but, but a lot of times when you hear of like a gospel choir and you get down into it and you're like, okay, wait a minute, they're not really gospel, it's just become like a style of music. They're not really proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, we, you know, that word gets thrown around. Gospel songs, you know, I grew up in, um, in a church that was um, very well known for singing southern gospel music. And if you've never, like, heard southern gospel music, just, like, get on Spotify and just look up, like, Gold City Quartet or something like that. You'll be amazed. It's just beautiful music. No, I'm kind of joking, but Southern gospel was this thing, and again, it was this musical thing that was kind of its own thing, but didn't necessarily mean like we are explicitly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, right? And then we hear gospel-centered, and we hear that a lot, and so what's it mean to have the gospel as the center of who we are? So my point is, we hear this word a lot, so tonight I want to bring hopefully some clarity and focus to saying, what is the gospel? Um, I think for a couple of reasons, so that we understand it as individuals in our own heart, uh, but also so that as we understand it as a church, so that we know it, so that we can tell it as well. In all of that, it's important that we have clarity in what the gospel means. In the Bible, okay, this is another small side note, right? In the Bible, we have the, gosp- the gospels, plural, right? And those are the books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those are the accounts of the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we call those the gospels. But to say the gospel, of course, the gospels contain the gospel, right? Uh, but to say what we're talking about when we say we want to proclaim the gospel, we mean specifically um, that that's what we'll be focusing on today. And it simply means, that word means good news. The word gospel means good news, that we have good news to proclaim. So here's a, a, a pretty clear and concise definition, and I've borrowed this from um, a guy named David Platt. Um, And this is what he he wrote um, as his definition of what the gospel is. The just and gracious God of the universe looked upon hopelessly sinful people and sent his son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, to bear his wrath against sin on the cross and to show his power over sin in the resurrection so that all who turn and trust in him will be reconciled to God forever. Now, I realize that was a fairly long statement, but it says in a very clear way, what is the gospel? And we'll, we'll talk through that more. I think to simplify it even more, to say, okay, what is the essence of the gospel? We know it's good news, um, and we know that we've got this picture of a just and gracious God who has come to redeem us and forgive us. But I think even more, when we break this down, what the gospel is trying to communicate to us is that I can't, but God can. And I don't mean that in a way of like, I can do whatever I want because God can do that. You know, I don't mean it in that way, but I mean it in this way of saying, like, I can't fix my, my sin. I can't change my heart. I can't make myself better. I can't do that. But God can. And that's the essence of what the gospel is, is saying to us. But we'll get into, um, into more of that. 
So we just read Romans chapter 3, uh, verses 9 through 26, um, and that's going to be kind of our, our jumping off point for tonight, um, and a little bit of context and background on that. Paul was writing to the church in Rome, and our passage started a little bit abruptly. I don't know if you noticed that, okay? Um, and it said, basically, the very first word said, what then? Are we Jews any better off? Okay, well, what's he talking about? To give a little bit of context, Paul was explaining how both Jews and non-Jews were equally sinful and both in need of salvation. Many thought that because they were Jewish or because they had kept the law, they were okay. They had fulfilled what God needed them to fulfill. But Paul is pointing out each person's need for Jesus. And so we kind of jumped into the middle there, but that kind of gives a little bit of background. Because, you know, in Romans chapter 1 and 2, Paul is showing how every person is sinful, how everyone has turned away from God. And then he kind of backs up and, and is talking to the Jewish people who are thinking, well, I'm pretty good. I'm good to go because... We have this covenant with God. We have the law. We've kept the law. But Paul says, yeah, you have the law, but you're also sinful and you're also separated from God and in need of salvation. So that gives us a little bit of, of background through that. So when we look at what is a biblical presentation and a biblical response to the gospel, this includes five key elements. And I've also borrowed kind of this structure from David Platt. And so um, there are these five things, and you'll hear them multiple times tonight. The character of God, and if you're taking notes, I'll, we'll do each of these, so I don't think you have to get all of them at this moment, okay? The character of God, the sinfulness of man, the sufficiency of Christ, let me say that again, the sufficiency of Christ, the necessity of faith, and the urgency of eternity. When we are trying to get a biblical, clear definition of the gospel, it must contain those five things. We'll start with the character of God. We look in Romans chapter 3, verses 22 through 24. And Paul writes, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. When we look at that, we see God's righteousness, God's glory. We see the word grace, that he's gracious. We get this picture and this understanding of God who is a holy God with complete purity. And we've got to understand that the gospel begins with God, not us. Because it would be easy to say, I'm sinful and I need God. But we've also we've got to back up one step and say, the gospel begins with God. Begins with a just and gracious God of the universe. Who then looks upon hopelessly sinful people. God is the just and gracious creator of all things. That's the biblical truth. Our response to that is, is that we must realize that we belong to him, are accountable to him, and are created to glorify him. If each of us was created in the image of God, in the very beginning, when we look at the, in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, God created Adam and Eve. They were in a perfect relationship with God. And yet they sinned against God. But the gospel begins with the character of God. That he is holy and good. If he was anything less, this would not be worth doing. If God had any impurity, if God had any shortcoming or failure in him, this would not be worth following or giving our lives to. And yet, we have a God who is holy, pure. You maybe have heard me say, it's a, it's a strange way to talk about it, but it's as if God is allergic to sin. Is anybody allergic to like cats or anything? Okay, if you're, you just don't, you can't be around them. You don't want to be around them, and you know that if it's if there's a cat in the room, 
then I don't, I'm, I'm saying this out of like observing other people. I've seen other people and their eyes get all red and I'm like, oh, that looks rough. Sorry about that. <laughs> but like they, you know, you know um, if, you're, if you're allergic to something, you know when those things are around you, you're like, I got to get away from it. And so God in his holiness, God cannot be in the presence of sin. We have a holy, righteous God. We like to think that we are the center of attention, but the reality is that God is. The gospel begins with the character of God, that he is holy and just and pure. Secondly, the sinfulness of man. Romans chapter 3, again, verses 9 all the way through verse 20. Um, and, so, and then also in, chapter, in verse 23, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Hey, many of us have heard that verse so many times. But you back up in Romans verses 9 through um, 20. And, you know, verse 10, Paul goes in and he's quoting um, from the Old Testament. And he says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. He continues. And we're looking at this. And if you imagine these people, the Jewish people who, had, who were thinking, well, I've done everything I need to do. But Paul's saying, no, actually you haven't. And actually no one is righteous. No matter how much good you think you've done, no one is righteous. And Paul is just kind of like quoting this Old Testament passage here and just kind of like pushing the knife in a little deeper and saying, no, you, you're a mess. And when we read this, we're like, man, that's pretty rough. That, you know, that, that imagery of their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. And he continues. And he says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. And then he sums it up in, again in verse 23 by saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are each created by God, but we are all corrupted by sin. That's the truth that scripture shows us. And so this doesn't mean that we have to think poorly of ourselves as, as, as humans because God has created us in his image and yet sin has separated us from God. And our response to that truth is that we must admit areas of rebellion be honest with God about our sin and turn from it. We have to understand that we are in a mess. If we don't understand the depth of our brokenness and our sin, then we don't understand the gospel. And I think it's important, whether you are a Christian and are following Jesus or whether you are still just kind of looking into this and thinking about, okay, what's it mean to be a Christian? It's important to understand that it's okay to think about our own lives and to think about, you know what, I would be a mess without Jesus. Or to think, you know what, I am a mess without Christ. Because I am sinful, I am separated from God. Without Christ, even our good actions are broken. So think about this scenario. Think about if you're walking down the street and you see someone who's asking for money. Okay, it's a very common occurrence. Um, you see someone who needs it and you give money to them. Okay, this is, that's a good thing, right? It can be a good thing to say, okay, I've helped someone. You know, and you could walk away from that being like, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm, I'm, I've got things, I've got it, got it going here. But you step back and say, okay, what's the motivation for that? Was the motivation for that maybe to sometimes appease guilt, right? Because if we walk by, we're like, man, that person really needs some money and and then if we walk by and don't give anything, then we feel guilty. So like, okay, I'll give something. Then I won't feel guilty. Well, if you give to appease guilt or to feel better about yourself and then you dig down a little deeper, that's selfishness, right? And of course, it's a good thing to give to people. And yet we've got to understand that even our good actions 
without Christ are broken and sinful and have roots of selfishness and pride in them. Okay, think about it. You volunteer in the community. It's a good thing, right? But why? Do you do it to be seen as a good person? Do you do it to validate your materialism and consumption the rest of the week? Do you do it so people notice you? Because again, this is selfishness. It's pride. I'm talking to myself here just as much as, as anyone. But we have to, my, my point is that even when we as humans think, hey, I'm being pretty good. I'm doing things right. I'm, I'm a good person. Deep down inside of that, there's brokenness, there's sin, there's selfishness, there's something in us that's saying, I need to feel okay about myself. And that's the root of sinfulness in our lives. And of course we can do good things to benefit people around us. But my point is that we can't think that that means that we are a good person. Many people would say, you know, if you ask the question, hey, are people basically good or basically evil, right? Many people and most people would say, I think people are basically good, right? They just need to, like, improve a little and be kind and, you know, do good things. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's a, a, a very modern way of thinking, what pe- a lot of people think. But the Bible doesn't teach that. People, you and I, are sinful. We were born into sin and we have actively chosen sin. This is the bad news of the gospel, that we are separated from God and we can't fix ourselves. Remember we said that the kind of the essence of the gospel is I can't, but God can. This is the I can't part. We can try and try and try, but we'll never do it. There's an analogy, I don't know if I've used this, uh, talked about this before, but um, I, I probably have actually, but I'm going to do it again. So if, if you ever like went to the lake or went you know, somewhere like that, and if there was a dock, right? This was something when I was a kid, we'd go to the lake and we'd jump off the dock, okay? Well, imagine you're there with your brothers or cousins or friends or whoever, brothers, sisters, whatever. And you're like, okay, we're going to have a contest. We're going to see who can jump the farthest, okay? You step, you run off, and you jump, and you try to keep track of where you landed, and somebody probably is going to jump farther than the rest of us, okay? But that is not what the gospel is like. Because the gospel is not, life is not simply about saying, I'm going to see how good I can be, how far I can jump, and, and if I... If I do enough, then that's good, I win, right? But the gospel is actually the opposite. Because if you take that analogy a different direction and say, okay, I'm standing on a dock, and like 100 meters, that's for my metric Canadian friends, okay? 100 yards, 100 meters, right? Thank you. You guys are supposed to laugh at these jokes. No, uh, 100 meters across the lake is another dock. And you say, okay, guys, we're going to have a game. We're going to see who can jump from this dock all the way to that dock. Well, Obviously, it's impossible, right? But you could, you could say, okay, I need to stretch a little, right? I need to have some Gatorade. I need to eat some protein, um, and I need to, you know, do some squats or something. And then you run, and you jump, and you're going to jump, and you're going to fly, and you're going to land in the water every time. And that means if you land in the water, you failed. Okay, that's a better picture of what the gospel is. That as much as we work, as much as we try, we cannot jump to that other dock. That's what Romans 3.23 is saying, that we are... Um, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No matter how much we do or how good we think we are, we can't jump to the other side. We have to recognize our sinfulness sinfulness, and our need for a Savior. So first we had, the, in understanding the gospel, the character of God, the sinfulness of man. Third, the sufficiency of Christ. Romans 3, 23 through 25, again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness 
because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Jesus Christ alone is able to remove our sin and reconcile us to God through his death. He alone satisfies the wrath of God for our sins. And our response to that is that we must recognize that we are helpless to be reconciled with God apart from Jesus Christ. We cannot fix our relationship with God on our own. Jesus is able to cleanse us and make us right before God. Why? We've talked about this, that Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay, what's that mean? It means that he was not born in the typical way. He was not born into sin the way that you and I were. On top of that, he lived a sinless life. Scripture tells us he was tempted in the same ways that we are tempted, yet he did not sin. Because of that, he was able to be a perfect sacrifice. Only only something sinless can remove sin. If you try to clean a table with a dirty rag, you're just going to spread around the dirtiness, right? And us trying to clean our own lives is like that. There had to be something, there had to be someone pure, sinless, who was able to take away our guilt and our shame. Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf. There's a big word here of propitiation. This is the removal of wrath by the offering of a gift. Jesus took God's wrath. We deserved God's wrath because we had sinned against the holy God. We deserved death because of our sin, and yet Jesus took our place. This is the grace of God. When we deserve death because of our sin and rebellion, Jesus stepped in. Both literally, like literally he came to earth um, to take our place. And only the pure, holy Son of God is able to take our place. This is the good news of the gospel. Because it'd be one thing to think, man, I'm a mess. What, who am I? Why I can't fix myself and we could get stuck there. And yet the gospel says, no, there's good news. You just have to recognize the bad news and understand there is good news news that God, because of his great love for us, sent his own son on our behalf. The sufficiency of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ is sufficient to cleanse us from our sin and brokenness. Number four, the necessity of faith. Romans 3.22 says the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And then we're going to jump over to Romans 10, 9 through 13. It says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We have to understand in the gospel the necessity of faith, that we are reconciled to God only through faith in Jesus. There is nothing we can do to become right with God. And again, we kind of look at that and we're like, well, no, I'd rather do something, right? That's kind of how we're wired. And yet we have to understand that our response to that is that faith leads to salvation. And faith that leads to salvation involves turning from sin and self-sufficiency. We turn to Jesus and trust in him as Lord, confess him as Lord and Savior. And the point here is that we cannot earn our salvation. It only comes through faith. Okay, I like to check things off a list. I don't know if any of you guys are like that. 
um, list, like I'm the type of person that sometimes will put things on a list after they're done simply so that I can check them off. I don't know. That's probably a little strange. Uh, my dad has lists and then he has like a master list, right? Um, I'm serious. And, and it's all paper. It's not digital. He should really move to that. But I'm picking on my dad and he's probably not even going to listen to this, but that's okay. Um, that's, that's why I'm the way that I am. Um, but, you know, I like to check things off the list. I like to earn things like grades or Starbucks rewards. It's like, hey, I'll go there because I get those little stars that bounce around, you know. Uh, when I was a kid, we had a thing called Book It. Do you guys ever have Book It? Anybody here? I don't know what the equivalent was in Canada, but it was basically we had this big button. It was like it would go on your shirt or jacket, you know. It was a pretty cool button. And every month, if you read every book you read, you'd get a star. And so then once you put all the stars on the button, you could go to the Pizza Hut and they would give you a free pizza, which was pretty awesome. Except for the fact that even when I was a kid, the pizza was always way too small. I'm like, I need two of those. It's not enough. It's, but still, I like to fill up that, you know, and, and, and earn the pizza, right? Uh, but... That's not how faith works, because faith is not about saying, like, I'm going to earn something. I'm going to do this, 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 and this, and if I do those things, then God's going to see me as good enough. Faith is the opposite of earning. Faith is recognizing that we don't deserve anything, and our only hope is to look to God and say, I need you. And faith is, you know, again, as humans, we like to say, oh, there's got to be something I've got to do. Well, for salvation, for the gospel, our action is simply to turn in faith to God and say, God, I believe, Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe you have risen from the dead. I want to turn away from my selfish way of life, and I want to turn towards you. And I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Because the opposite of that would be saying, I'm putting my trust in myself. I'm putting my faith in myself to say, I'm going to be enough. I'm going to do enough so that God will be pleased. But we've already seen that's not going to work. The necessity of faith. We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by anything that we do. We're saved by the grace of Jesus. Number five, the urgency of eternity. We're going to turn over to John chapter 3, verse 16. So we talked about the urgency of eternity. John 3, 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Our eternal destiny is dependent on our response to Jesus. Let me say that again. That's a powerful statement. Our eternal destiny is dependent on our response to Jesus. The way that we respond to that is to cry out to God to save you from your sins, Put your faith in Jesus Christ and confess him as Savior and Lord. We have to understand that each person will spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. And those who have placed their faith in Jesus will be with him for eternity. Those who have not put, have not will be separated from him for eternity. I understand that this can seem harsh, right? We, but we have to realize that God's desire is for all people to come to him. And God graciously, patiently, and lovingly extends himself to every person, even to the point of coming to earth himself, giving his life on the cross. He has revealed himself through his word and through the church, that we are the carriers of the message of the gospel. So we have to understand that we, this, this idea that, that, can, that can come into our minds is that why would God, a good 
holy, loving God, why would he send people to hell? And I really don't believe it's true that God sends people to hell. What God is doing is actively inviting people to come to himself. And hell is simply eternal separation for God, from God that comes for any person who says, no, God, I'm going to rebel against you. I don't want you in my life. I want to run my own life. And it's as if God says, and this sounds flippant, I don't mean it that way, but it's as if God says, okay, if that's what you want, then, then I, God's not going to force us to himself. But we have to understand the urgency of eternity. That we can only choose to follow Christ while we are living and breathing. Because when we die, that's, that, that is sealed of where we spend eternity, whether with God or separated from him. We must live with an urgency. We cannot put off the decision to place our faith and trust in Jesus. This impacts us as individuals and our response to God, and it also impacts the way that we view the world as Christians. So if you're a follower of Jesus, this urgency pushes us to go and to tell our families, our neighbors, our friends, people in this city, people around the world. There's an urgency to go and tell them, my question for myself, my question for you is, if you are following Jesus, who are you telling about him? Who are you actively praying for, building a relationship with, going to and telling them the good news of Jesus? Because there is an urgency of eternity. So, those five things, that is what the gospel is. It starts with the character of God. We have to understand the character of God, the sinfulness of man, the sufficiency of Christ, the necessity of faith, and the urgency of eternity. It's what the gospel is. That God, in his grace, has looked upon our sin and our brokenness and has made a way for us to come back to him through faith, not through earning something. So our first question was, what is the gospel the second thing we want to look at is, what does the gospel mean? Like, not as in like, but what, is it, what does that say? We, we, we see what it says, but what does that mean for our lives as, a, as individuals and as a church? The gospel shows us the, that the only way to enter into a relationship with God is through Jesus. What happens too often is that many people think that salvation is the starting point of Christianity. And then you move on to bigger and better things. Many people think, well, you know, I need to hear, you know, once I've heard the gospel, I've responded, okay, that's great, I'm going to move on to other things. But this is false. I heard somebody say the other day that the gospel is not just the diving board, it's the pool that we swim in. It's not just the starting point. It's, it's everything in our Christian life and our walk with God as a church and as individuals. If we understand the gospel, it will shape every aspect of our lives. As individuals, this impacts how we work and how we rest. When we believe that God is in control and not me, I can truly rest. And that all links back to the gospel of saying, I can't save myself. I can't, but God can. It impacts how we work. We work hard, not to earn favor from people, but we work hard because we are loved by God. It impacts the way that we view God. Because if we view God as through the lens of the gospel, then we see him as a good and loving father who has extended himself to us. If we view him some other way, then we may see him as a harsh taskmaster. We may view him as a distant father. We may view him as someone who doesn't care. But when we view God through the lens of the gospel, we understand that he himself has come 
for us. This impacts how the gospel impacts how we view ourselves. It, it impacts where we find our meaning and our identity. That we have found our identity and significance in Christ, and we are no longer striving for the for what the world offers. Because if we don't view ourselves through the lens of the gospel, then the normal thing to do is to say, okay, I've got to do what I can to get ahead, to be noticed, to feel happy, to feel satisfied, and yet when we understand the gospel in our lives and how we understand ourselves on a daily basis, to say, I am secure in Christ. My identity is in him. He has loved me and extended himself to me, and I don't have to earn anything. I believe in him through faith, and I don't have to earn something before God. I don't have to like be a better Christian, be a better person, to earn God's favor. He loves me because of who he is. And what happens is, when we understand the good news and the gospel in our lives, all of a sudden we say, God, I want to honor you. I want to know you. I want to follow you. But I don't do it to earn something. I do it because of what he's done. The gospel impacts our lives as families. It impacts how we parent. We can entrust our kids to God. We don't have to be in control. Right? Yesterday we went to the uh, Fête de Neige, the, what's that trans? the snow festival? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, snow festival. We went to that yesterday at Parc Jean Drapeau, and, and like, because like everything is like, obviously the snow, and then it's melted, and then it's frozen, everything is just ice. And how do you know we're like walking around, and like, it's just solid ice, and you like, people are walking around falling, and we're like, this is, why is this happening? Why is this normal? Right? And, and like, Abby and I, I think we're like half stressed out all day long because we're like trying to keep our kids from like falling and busting their heads open, right? And yet, this is kind of, a lot of times, how people can parent. It's like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want them to get hurt. I don't want something to happen. I want to keep them safe and controlled. And yet, the gospel helps us understand that, God, you are in control. And I'm not in control. And God, I can trust you even with the lives of my kids. It inter- it, it, the gospel impacts how we interact as families, okay? That we love each other because we are loved by God. We forgive each other because we have been forgiven. It impacts how we use money. We understand that money is a blessing. It's not a marker of status. And that we, money, we view money as a way that we can give generously because Christ has shown us his generosity. Like we don't just give because it's a good thing to do. We give and we're generous and we're kind because that's who God is. And that's, who he has shown, as, that's how he has shown himself to us. The gospel impacts how we view ourselves as a church. And how we view this idea of religion. And I saw this, I've read this before, and then I saw it a couple days ago. I think, um, I think Mealing put it on Facebook, or maybe somebody else. But this quote from Tim Keller that said, Religion says, if I obey God, then God will love and accept me. The gospel says, I am loved and accepted, therefore I wish to obey. There's a huge difference there. Because most religions around the world are people saying, I've got to do these things and not do these things so that I'm loved by God. That's what the basic idea of religion is. And yet the gospel says, I'm loved and accepted by God because of Jesus. Because of that, I want to give him my life. Why would we not give our lives to the God who has redeemed us and rescued us and come on our behalf? There's these ideas with kind of with religion. There's on one side you've got like this idea of being moral, of moralism, of just saying, we're going to be really good people, right? We're going to have our hair cut the right way and wear the right things and be really, really moral people. 
and this, this kind of legalistic moral mindset. And the other side of it, you've got this, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. And yet, the gospel cuts right between these two things. Because the gospel says, no, you don't have to earn your own way. But the gospel also says, you have a God who has given himself to you, and we are called to lives of holiness and honoring him. We can't just do what we want. But we also can't just say, if I do the right things, God will love me. The gospel cuts between these two things. Also, as a church, what does it mean to be a gospel-centered church? Why is this part of our DNA? Well, we believe that in everything that we do, the way that we love Jesus, love each other, love the world, has to be enveloped in what it means to say that we are gospel-centered. We understand we can't, but God can. As a church, when we say we want to be a church where people can know and follow Jesus, we want to be a church that reaches our city, that reaches our neighbors. This is not something we do out of obligation. It's something we do out of joy. This is not something that we do out of saying we've got to do this so that God will love us. We do this because God has loved us. And as a church, again, same as families, it impacts how we interact with each other, how we forgive each other, how we work together, how we remove cultural boundaries. And Paul talks about that in, in Galatians, the scripture that Graham read, where, you know, all throughout the New Testament, God's, Paul writes and, and others that, okay, no longer, there's no longer Jew and Greek, and so there's this, like, ethnic difference. There's no longer rich and poor. There's no longer slave and master and male and female and all these different barriers and boundaries that were, that were happening then and are happening in our world now, and we say the gospel cuts between all those things and says, in Jesus we are made one. In Jesus we are made right with God. We are restored to a relationship with him, and there's no one group or one person that deserves more or deserves better. In Christ we are on equal footing before God. As we look at all this, you can see that if we believe the gospel, it impacts every area of life. If you're honest with yourself and God, have you truly understood the gospel? The gospel that says, it starts with the character of God, moves to the sinfulness of man, of understanding our brokenness, the sufficiency of Christ, that he is enough, the necessity of faith, I can't earn it, but I must turn to him in faith and the urgency of eternity, of knowing that he's returning and our eternity will be sealed. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? Have you turned to him in faith and said, I understand that I am broken and sinful. I can't fix myself. And Jesus, you alone will make me new and make me right with God. Is your life reflecting the gospel, the way that you're living, is it pointing other people to see the goodness and the holiness of God? And my challenge to each of us, if you have not, if you've never followed Jesus, then I invite you to make that choice. I want to talk to you about it. I want to talk in more detail. We want to be a place here at Renaissance where people can always be asking questions and saying, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And we want to help answer those things. If you are a believer, my challenge is remind yourself of the gospel every single day. And sometimes it takes every single hour. And I don't, I don't always do this, but I do my best at some point in the morning to, to literally stop and think about, God, you're holy. I'm on my own. I'm not. I'm broken and sinful. But God, you have paid the price for me. 
Because it impacts, then I live my life out of response to God, not out of saying, well, I've got to do these things today so that everything's good. Because that's not the gospel. But the gospel is living in response to God, of understanding, God, I can't, but you can. Because it's really easy to think, well, I've got to do all these things so that, so that God will be happy, so that my family will be happy, so that my kids will be good, so that my friends will be good. So I've got to do all these things. And that is not what the gospel says because the gospel says, okay, I can't do these things. But God, you can't. And of course, we don't live with just like this hands off, like whatever happens, happens. No, we actively say, God, I want to know you. I want to follow you. Because of what you have done, I give my life to you. I'll close with this. This is from a guy named Tim Chester. If you've been in the Renaissance office, this is on the wall. And I love this. And I think it gives words to what this means, what the gospel means. God is good, so you don't need to look elsewhere. God is great, so you don't need to be in control. God is gracious, so you don't need to prove yourself. And God is glorious, so you don't need to fear others. This is the beauty of the gospel in our lives. Because of who God is, we can follow him and know him in freedom and in living our life as a response to who he is and what he's done. Let's pray together.